back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. I am your host, Chase. I'm here again with James, as always. This week, we're going to talk some exit interview quotes. The Hornets concluded their exit interviews in the earlier in the week. Uh, everybody and then Mitch Kupchak and James Bray came up and gave some quotes at the end of the year, kind of summarize how they're feeling going into the offseason. And then in the second half, we're going to give out some awards, not the, the traditional MVP defensive player of the year. I added a little bit of a fun, more twist in it so we could go back and look at some of the, the best and worst moments of the Hornets season from uh, 2020 and 2021 now that the the pain of the play and loss has subsided but before we roll into that I gotta ask how you're doing today James I'm doing well it's um have you found having no Hornets basketball I'm, I'm I say that having no I know they played on like technically what I, this week's gone so quick did they play on Tuesday last week it they did have, didn't they yeah it was either Monday or Tuesday yeah, I mean days. it feels like a month ago, which is yeah. really strange. But how have you found having limited Hornets basketball from the second half of the week? It hasn't been bad yet, but I feel like once we get going and it's like we've been watching more playoff basketball games for like two weeks, it's like, hmm, I've been putting my TV on. There are these guys throwing an orange ball around, but none of them are wearing these teal and purple jerseys. This is a little <laughs> bit strange. So I feel like after a while, like that's kind of what happened to me last year, like, when the whole season got canceled, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, this is horrible because no one was playing. But then the bubble came back. I was like, oh, I kind of like, yeah. I like the Hornets. I, <laughs> I forgot have, about that. Have you got a, a playoff team you adopt for the postseason this year? Have you got someone? You're nodding here. Who you got? Oh, yeah. See, I've like all year long, the Hornets are obviously like far and away my like main team. But like the other ones that I've adopted to, to watch are Portland, Denver and Boston. So thankfully, all of them are in the playoffs. The Portland Denver series is like, because I'm not a fan of either one. I just like watching them both. It is a delight. I feel like the fans probably hate watching it because it's like so stressful, but it, it's just awesome to watch. What about you? Do you have you found anybody to latch on to? You know, I, I, I will always support the Kemba piece. I, I think it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough time in Boston for, for the series, but I will support the Kemba. Um, I'm, you know, I would really like Sam Hinkie's project to come full circle. So I will be, I'll be rooting for Philly. Um, I, I did like some NBA playoff picks as everyone does this year. I entered a couple of like, you know, competitions up by people. And I didn't even know like who I thought might be winning the championship going in. But just by the way the bracket went when I filled out, I had the Clippers winning at all, which I was surprised at myself. And like, there's no reason you should ever cluster trippers. Look at last night's game straight away. Number one example. But I think, I think the other one who I really want, actually, I'd say probably the one out of all of them are the Bucks because they're a small market with a great superstar who is a great guy. They've had two years in a row of playoff disappointment where people have written them off. Um, I'm, I'm all aboard the Milwaukee Bucks. And I actually watched the game last night with, with my girlfriend. It was her first playoff game watching this year. And like, I was like, Jess, they don't all end in like overtime game winners. <laughs> you know, yeah. But it was, a, I mean, it was a heck of a game last night against the Heat. That's going to be a heck of a series. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I, th I would say that will be like the best East series. And then Portland and Denver might be like yeah. the most competitive one in the West. I mean, and the Knicks and the Hawks one could be good too. That one starts today on Sunday. So the play yeah. the playoffs are going to be really good this year. Like I'm, I'm actually really excited. Like it sucks the Hornets didn't make it, but like they would be playing Philly right now. I mean, the Wizards competed against Philly on Sunday, but like I don't really think it was ever like, oh, the Wizards are going to, you know, win this game when it really comes down to it. Yeah. But, yeah. Playoff basketball. We'll be there. We'll be there. But 
just not just not meant to be this year. But so I guess that means it's time for us to talk about exit interviews because that's what you do when, at this time of year when you're not a playoff team. But the Hornets exit interviews were actually like I thought they they were like not super telling, obviously, because none of these guys are going to get up there and like profess their real feelings to the media. But there were some like some notable quotes that we could pull from it. The the just the first one to start off was I just Mitch Kupchak threw his like full support behind James Borrego saying like, oh, he's done a great job. The team has developed under him like we exceeded expectations. Like I think he said like he was like we uh, his exact words were like we are much farther along than we expected to be at this point or something like that. So, I mean, I, he definitely seems to be on the same page as Borrego. And I know a lot of people were like, oh, we got to get this guy out of here after they lost in the play in. But don't think that's going to happen until he proves that he is not capable of coaching, which he has not done yet. Yeah, and I think Borrego is going into the last year of his contract, which I wasn't actually aware of. Shout Rick Bennell. Yeah, kind I didn't of, know that either. Made me aware of that. Um, not personally. I said it's, it's like me and Rick are talking. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he texted me last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rick texted me last night. Uh, no, uh, Rick, Rick kind of put that in one of his articles, and then he actually asked Mitch Kupchak, "Do you feel comfortable with Borrego going into the last year of his deal?" Kind of quite direct during his. Um, and he just said, I think he's done a great job. And he just left it at that. So, you know, reading between that cryptic, you know, message from Mitch, I think you can probably expect news of a contract extension at some point in the offseason. Um, I think, you know, Borrego said multiple times he loves coaching this group. I think there's a positive momentum here in Charlotte right now. So I think I think you can probably see like a three-year extension or something like that to Borrego's contract. Uh, over this offseason, which which I will really welcome. Um, it was actually a little kind of peek behind the curtain of the, the media availability. Um, so this was the first time I was able to attend the player media availability this year. And the email said players will be available from whatever time on, on Wednesday or whatever. So I was logged on at that time thinking, great, I'm going to get like all 15 players are going to come through, do five minutes each. Chase, it lasted from like, it started at, let's say like 2 p.m., the players were coming in dribs and drabs for the next like three hours. So I was waiting there at my computer. I'm like, what's going on? And like people were logging off and coming back on. Anyway, so for the second, they didn't even get through everyone on day one. I think they got through like half the roster. And the second day I couldn't do it because of work stuff. So I I could only do the cup check um, interview. But um, man, I thought it was going to be a much, I'd like put down an hour for all the exit interviews. And I thought that was going to be fine. And I was like, yeah, this is a learning experience for me. So, uh, but yeah, Borrego starting on on uh, Cupcheck. Sorry, Cupcheck stating Borrego's done a great job. It, it's not a shock, I think, to either, either of us, and uh, he'll, he'll definitely be back. Um, next up, another quote that kind of pulled out was I thought it was interesting that Mitch said uh, he feels differently about attracting free agents to Charlotte now. Um, it, you know, he said it again. I still couldn't quite believe that Gordon Hayward was actually going to sign with the Charlotte Hornets. He said that he was like, I was still shocked even after it kind of happened, expecting him to pull out. He seems um, to have a full grasp of like, wow, the Hornets <laughs> never get free agents. I can't believe that I'm doing it. He's like a fan yes. basically being like, I yeah. can't believe this is even, it's so funny. I, I like that quote a lot too. And and he also said that like, who wouldn't want to play with Mello, which is a great point. Like you look at, Mello is going to dime you up. He's on every highlight video that's been around the league. He's got attention of people. So, I mean, it's great for Mitch saying that. Chase, what do you think? Do you feel differently about attracting free agents to Charlotte than you did maybe a year ago? Yeah, I actually do. Like, obviously, it's not like 
this is a team that's going to be going out like big game hunting every year because really no small market team in the NBA is doing that, especially one that like hasn't made the playoffs that, that many times recently. So, I mean, that's more, that's like fair. They'll work their way into a situation where they can do that. But I do think like now from now on, since Gordon Hayward signed there, that like shows a willingness. It's like, Hey, we will like take chances on big name players and give them a lot of money and be like, we trust you to come here and like be the guy. And I think that that like a lot of players and their agents, especially will see that and be like, okay, we, we at least trust them that they're going to like treat them. Well, it may not work out like the actual on court basketball situation, but the the other stuff is going to go pretty smoothly at least. So that, I think that's a good start. And then he's right. Like who wouldn't want to play with Lamella? I mean, he, that type of superstar is the most like attractive type of superstar because his whole game is just, yeah, I'll just, I'm fine with grabbing a rebound, pushing the pace, flinging the ball underhand while I'm not looking it's a you uh, for an alley-oop from half court like that no no star doesn't want to be on the receiving end of those types of plays so I definitely think they're more attractive now the team's play style in general this year you know they uh were what the top five passing team in the league uh throughout most of the year even with the injuries that they suffered down the stretch of the season I think a lot of players would 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 really enjoy you know it's not like you're going to go play with James Harden Houston where it's like your job is to stand in the corner and shoot a spot at three and defend. Like everyone does a bit of everything here. Everyone makes decisions, which if you're looking to go somewhere, you want to be part of a system, which is going to you know, give you a little bit of a chance to put your mark on the game where you're not just like a strict role player. Um, so again, I, there's always still, you're, you're still always going to be Charlotte, right? If it's Charlotte versus New York, I'm still going to favor New York. Irrelevant to how good the situation here is and, and New York having a great year themselves. So, you know, that, they are a better destination right now, but I, I, I do feel better, like you said, than I did a year ago. Um, absolutely. You know, we've got Gordon Hayward. It's a respected name around the league has come here. Lamelli Ball, the style of play, like the players love Borrego. I, I really get the genuine feel for that. And you know, players talk in the league. What's the coach like there, etc. So uh, yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty positive about things. And this summer's probably maybe going to be one of the last summers they have cap space in the medium term future. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we'll obviously touch on that later episodes on, on this summer's preview, but be interesting to see what they look to do with their 20, 22 million or so of space. Yeah, that will be super interesting. And what another thing that segues perfectly into that is that like he noted that, that if we spend our money, we need to be careful to keep an eye on the next few years, which like that's a very, very good sentiment for him to have because they're not going to sign someone and it'd be like in two years down the road when they have to extend PJ and LaMelo or whoever, like that's a young player of what it would be their rookie that they're drafting in the first round now that they're not going to be in a bad situation. Like I don't, I think it was purposefully designed that like the Hayward contract ends right when LaMelo's presumably max extension will be coming up. So I think that he's like, very aware of the fact that like yes we're building a really good culture we're developing a lot of young players and turning them into or like raising their ceilings that higher and bringing them closer to it than a lot of other teams probably would but in doing that that means you have to pay them money that they've very rightfully earned like i'm not saying that's like a bad thing to develop players and have them become expensive that's exactly what you want but you can't keep them all together like fundamentally unless michael jordan is just going to spend an astronomical amount in the luxury tax and maybe he will do that because he's like one of the richest people in america but that probably isn't going to be this summer so i i think that it will be a 
it's it I'm so like fascinated by this offseason for the Hornets. I feel like it's so important like it's easily the most important one they've had in the last like few years and like it, it, what they do now is going to play into like what they do in the future like so much more than normal because they're like really building towards something with like a guy that could be one of the best players in the NBA or at his position in the NBA. So like it's the moves that you make are so much more like it, like important. You really you like really got to nail them it, like the incremental ones in the next I, few years. I'm smiling because I swear every off season we say like this is an interesting off season. Like that's we, yeah, that's probably we, we that's ne- probably true, yeah. We never have an off season where we're like, yep, yeah, not much to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. You're like, oh, this one's boring. I'm, I can't wait to do nothing for six months that's that's probably a good point which there have been but a lot of the time oh, yeah. podcasters <laughs> and writers won't say that because like it's like oh for the next three months we're gonna be pre- previewing nothing so yeah, yeah. Stick so with not, not not gonna keep many people around with that but, but but you are you are right this this is gonna be an interesting off season because it's the last time with flexibility real flexibility yes, I think that's we're gonna get for a, it, yeah. a little bit of time and um I, but I, that was probably so that was one of the tweet uh the quotes that i shared um on my twitter account and I would say that's probably one of the most liked tweets from the cup check press conference. And I kind of found it like Charlotte fans are so used to like ineptitude generally that a GM being like, well, we've got to be careful. Like if we spend our money this summer, not to go like over the tax next year, which is like level one of like being a GM, how to be a GM for dummies. It's like, don't go over the tax. Like, and a GM has said that and everyone's like, thank God. Like we are, we are happy that, we have someone who is not going to do the most stupid thing because, it, I mean, it's happened, hasn't it? We've been capped out in Charlotte before with a bang average t- team, which has got nowhere to go. It's happened time and time again. But everyone was just like so thrilled to hear like it, something which should be so obvious to everyone. But um, but it, it does need to be said, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they, they've it, it, it's it, like anybody that fires up 2K is going to be like, OK, I'm going to sign somebody, but I'm going to make sure I don't sign the people that make it. So I can't sign anybody else like that. Yeah. It's basically, it is like entry level stuff basically, but I mean, Hey, the, you're right that, that it hasn't always been entry level for, for some <laughs> uh, the Hornets GMs in, the, in no. their iterations since they came back to Charlotte. But another one is that the, when he was talking about the players that they can extend, which is for right now is Cody Zeller, Bismack Biombo, Devonte Graham, and Malik Monk, uh, Malik and Devante, restricted free agents, Cody and Biz, unrestricted free agents. There are, are like multiple other players that have got contracts that the Hornets could void their guarantee. Like I believe Jalen McDaniels and both Martin brothers can have their contracts voided, but I would be very surprised if that happened. Like they're good enough to at least stay with the team or at the very least be traded. But I, again, like I don't think that could would really happen. I would, the main free agents that the Hornets are going to be having are Devante, Malik, Cody and Biz. And they all kind of said like the same relative quote was that like, oh, I'd like to come back, but I'm not sure if I'm going to, I want to be like wanted or valued and whatever, like, like player free agency speak being like, I'm not sure what's going to happen yet. I haven't talked to anybody, uh, but I'm going to just make sure that I protect myself financially, which is what they should do. So I don't, I don't get the, or I don't blame them for that at all. But I mean, what do you, what do you think like, I, what do you like? How do you think that's going to go? I guess it's just with with those four. Like, who do you think is going to go or stay and get extended sooner or later? Because their cap holds actually will pre- prevent them or the Hornets from doing a lot of things. So the the Cody Zeller and Malik especially situations have to be resolved pretty quickly. I don't think it's the Charlotte Hornets know yet, and I th- I don't think the players know. I don't think it's like one of those things where these guys are giving a kind of an answer where they know they're going to be out of town. Um, I think. 
a lot is going to depend on the draft. I think a lot is going to depend on if there is a trade made during the dra- during draft because that affects cap space. It affects your composition of your roster. Um, it, it's not a no-brainer for any of those decisions, I don't think. So I, I think everyone, both the franchise and the players, are kind of being like, look, I think on all bases, there's a good enough rapport that uh, I'd say probably the least likely here is probably Malik, right? Malik, yeah. Malik kind of said, like, I, I want, he was the one who said, I want to be wanted. Um, and, you know, there was a couple of, t- he mentioned about playing time a lot more yeah. in his, his kind of uh, exit interview about kind of saying, oh, well, I've not always got a lot of playing time here and I wasn't always allowed to play through my mistakes. And he was talking about how things got better with that. But let's not forget that, you know, he mentioned playing time more than anyone else in his exit interview. And he said about wanting to be wanted here. And so I think Malik Monk's probably one who I wouldn't be surprised if I were him. I'd be looking to go a little bit like Terry Rozier when he was in Boston, like feels he can do better, has shown flashes for kind of short periods where he's been really good, but thinks he needs to go elsewhere to get the opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if he is looking looking at that. The rest, I, you know, I think Devonte would love to be back. I, I think they'll find a way for Devonte to come back. I, I honestly do. Um, the centers, I just think it's uh, who knows right now. Who knows? I, I think there's there's so many options. I'm actually working on an article at the Hive at the minute where I'm basically looking at every center in the NBA, either through trade or free agency, who I think is even like even maybe targetable. Uh, over this off season, and I'm going to kind of be breaking down, looking at what they want. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different options out there. They're not all great. I'd say Cody Zeller. I've kind of got a top ten rankings. He probably is in that five to ten range of who I'd want to have on the roster next year. So it, I'm I'm not sure how it's going to play out, and I don't think the team do either. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if they've had like even preliminary conversations about it with anybody. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they've been like, hey, like keeping in touch with agents being like, hey, you know, we're not opposed to co- you coming back. So, yeah, we'll, we'll keep the door open. I'm, but I, I doubt that they've talked really anything about it. But like, wh- I agree with you that the center position especially is like, who knows what's going to happen there? Because certainly you'd bring Cody back as a backup if you want. But you're not if you go into next season with Cody and Biz as your two centers, like you are telling your whole team basically like that we're not like we don't know what we're going to do here we don't know how to solve this position because obviously like it's not working and we haven't haven't fixed it but so I don't think that will happen but which of the two if either two of them come back is is completely beyond me at this moment but what they did mention for what they're trying to acquire in a free agent was someone that has or that can give them rim protection and better rebounding and that will like chip in and protect or chip in on defense on every possession and i mean presumably that would be a center like those those qualities describe big men most often uh and so i mean like you said you're there are a million options but is there is there one specifically that you th- that you would go for right now like because i feel like rashawn holmes is like the big one but he just had said that he wants a four-year 20 million dollars per year so that's that's quite a bit of money so yeah i look i think um I, I don't want to spoil my article too much, but look, Rashawn Holmes is number one he, yeah. in any statistic you look at, in any you know age, development arc, skill set. He is he is the number one guy. If you're looking at someone to try and anchor, like the other thing that Mitch said is yes, he wants defense, yes, he wants rebounding. The other thing he talked about is, you know, he'd love to have someone that makes it basically easier on everyone else because he says like basically at the minute. 
if someone drives, they basically have to almost like collapse the entire team and like all rebound and they all need. And what he wants is to be able to like let some of the guys leak out and transition, have a big that you can be confident enough is going to grab you 10 boards a game. Um, so I, I think Richon Holmes is, is out in front um, to kind of give a little, little kind of uh, preview of some of the names and con- contention. Nolan's Noel currently with the Knicks having a good year. Miles Turner's obviously been mentioned before. A um, couple of under the radar names that I've not really heard anyone talk about, but like a Jared Vanderbilt, Derek Favors, um, depending how deep you want to go, Isaiah Hartenstein. Like this, you know, we, we yeah. can start to go deep here. Drew Eubanks, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. there's a lot of names on my list, and and I'm going to be running through some of them. But look, I think there's a, I think Rashawn Holmes is the from a free agency perspective, Holmes and Noel are the clear two that I think jump out to me. But even then, like, Noel isn't big enough or strong enough, I don't think, to be, like, someone that you can – you can't – he's not just not a great defensive rebounder. That's the problem. You're still going to have to crash the boards as a team. Now, Holmes is better. Um, I think you've got a better chance with him. So, so he's the one who's out front for me. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. Like, I think he's probably, like, the best unrestricted free agent center on the market. But, I mean, that means he's probably going to get paid like he is too. So – whether or not the Hornets want to do that, totally different story. Uh, a lot to be determined before we get to that point anyway. But it's definitely something that we aware that to think about because, I mean, there are a million centers that we have to parse through. And I mean, Rashawn Holmes is one guy and there are 29 other teams in the NBA. So, like, the likelihood that you get him is just already kind of small. So, I mean, it's, it's just you, if you're staking your hopes to one guy as, like, a front office or whatever, probably yeah. not the best plan. So, they're, they're – we have a long ways to go with that and it will be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what directions they go in. Cause they need to improve it obviously, but it's just. I'm going to take wow. a, I'm going to take a wild stab and say, this won't be the last time we're going to talk about the Hornets center position this off season. No. You know, I don't want people to think we're glossing over it here. Or I think what we're both saying is there's a lot to unpack. Oh um, yes. yes. <laughs> like we could I, probably I, do a, multiple weeks of podcasts being running through centers being like they fit this way this guy would be good or bad like that that's how many there are and that's how badly yeah. they need one or um, two, and, really. and and i don't think there's anyone in the draft apart from probably evan mobley who you would select and have as your starting center from day one like no brainer like yeah. there might be someone who you get in training camp and you're like okay he can start like pj did you know two years ago uh, but but apart from Mobley, he's the only one I think is like a no-brainer. Yeah, starting from tomorrow, he'll improve your team. The rest is like, nah, let's wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. And then I actually like, I think I'm more on this like thought process recently. You just drafted two centers last year. Like, are you going to use a lottery pick on another one? Like, it's different if you were to be like, oh, we, with our 56th pick, we're going to take a shot on, a, on another big man. But being like drafting Lamelo and then center center grant riller center and like for your next <laughs> picks after is like like one and none of them being particularly good yet like that it just seems like a weird use of your assets so i would be i would actually be surprised if they draft a center unless it's like they move up or something or it's like this guy is like clearly the best player available or something so i i, I used to i wasn't like quite on that boat like a while ago i like a couple months ago i probably would have been like yeah draft Kai Jones or Isaiah Jackson or Shangun or Garuba or something like in the lottery if they're there. But I feel like they probably won't do that now just because it would be like when are Vernon and Nick going to play yeah. if, you, if you do that. Um, another interesting quote was someone asked Mitch about the Miles Bridges extension. And he basically, 
did the thing that John DeLong said when he came on the podcast where he explained how extensions work. <laughs> yes, yes. He loves doing that. It's so funny. He did that I so many that. times during his, his uh, exit interview. And I, I just kept thinking of John being like, yep, he's just doing it again. He's just explaining, explaining the question. Um, <laughs> but one thing he did say, which I thought was interesting, and I think I'm, I might have read into this a little bit too much. He might have just been stating the facts as he likes to do. He says, said, we are allowed to extend some players now, which... What I read into that was Terry Rozier, who is oh, true. Yeah. a free agent next year. But because he signed a three-year deal, I think he can sign a contract up to, I think, I want to say 20% above what he's earning currently. So I think he's on about 18 million or so. So he could go up to around 21, 22 million per year if they re-upped him. Um, so that was just something that kind of crossed my head, crossed my mind. Um, I, I don't know if I would do that if I was a Charlotte front office right now. I don't know if I want to lock myself in for definitely like three or four more years of Terry's here at that number. Um, but hey, like if you're Charlotte, you're really worried about losing him in free agency next summer. You are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know. What would your thoughts be? And again, we'll, we can do, we're only touching on these things briefly, but what's your initial thoughts on that? Do you think it's likely? That's, see, that's... I see. I hadn't thought about it in terms of Terry. I was strictly thinking like, oh, Miles, because he's like the rookie that they can extend. Well, the way he said it was, he was like, we can even extend some players right now. Which he was kind of saying like Miles Bridges, we can't extend yet technically. He was saying because the way he said it, it was it suggested like it was someone they could do today. And I think Terry Rozier is the only guy. That's true. Uh, Yeah, that I wouldn't surprise me. I. What do you what do you think the years would be on that? I would I don't know if they'd go like, oh, here's a three year extension, basically being like, we'll take you for six years instead of four. I would be surprised. I think they maybe they'd add like another year onto it or like a player option or something. I think there has to be a minimum. I'm just, I don't know here. There, this is that's where you need true. to get into this the CBA the yeah. minutia, but I I reckon if you sign an extension, it might have to be a minimum of another two years. So if he was due to expire next off season, I would reckon it have to be at least a two year extension. If not. If not a three, um, which I mean, you're getting him through his prime, but through age years, which I know Mitch has talked about before, like 27 to 31 kind of being the prime years. Um, so it, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. I would understand like, you don't want to let the asset get away. Um, I, I wouldn't hate it. I, I wouldn't love it. I could understand. It would make sense on paper if they did that. Right. Wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. Like if you had to put yourself in the position of like, this is my job to put a successful team on the floor for the Charlotte Hornets. You can totally reason with, with giving him that extension because that's what he does is he helps you do that. He, he put one of the first successful teams on the floor that you've had in the last few years. So you could definitely reason with it, but you can also be reason with like not doing it. I think his trade market is going to be one of the hottest among yeah. in, of players in the entire NBA this summer. If the Hornets want it to be, because like so many contenders need exactly what he does on offense, like just constantly moving without the ball, constantly hunting shots from beyond the three point line, the ability to catch it and then just shoot immediately. And that a pump fake and drive with in either direction, snake around a pick and roll finish in the mid range and at the basket, he improved so much at those things this year. Like he, I think he could be one of the hotter trade targets in the in the entire nba because his contract is really good too like i don't think teams will struggle to match that either because plenty of 
young guys are going to get like extensions or something. And who knows how all that salary cap matching stuff works in the off season, because we don't really know exactly like how many or what, what, how much teams have in cap space right now. So, but so that'll have to be determined, but I definitely think he could be a pretty hot target. And I would say like either trade him or extend him. Yeah. Because I don't want to, I don't want to be going into next summer with him being a free agent when you're then having to pay, like, even if you, you either lose him because he's into free agency yeah. There's always the chance for signing trade, sure. But it, it's, I know Charlotte have now done it twice with Gordon and Terry. So it feels like every time there's a free agent now, it's like sign and trade, sign and trade. It, it just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Like, you know, it, it, if, if, if he left and then if he were to come back, you're then probably paying more than the extended amount of 21, 22, like, because you're bidding then against the whole league next summer. Um, and you're probably having to get it near like the 25, 27 range. I'm just guessing. I've not looked at the cap space for next summer yet, but um, like, like you say, for someone in, in the demand. Um, so yeah, I would say trade him. If you're getting good offer and you're thinking, great, tr- make a move, get, try to find someone with a little bit more size, a um, little bit better defense. Um, yeah. It, it will be it'll be interesting trade or extend just don't go into next summer with like with terry as a free agent i just think that that puts question marks over then your whole off season you're, you're paralyzed around terry's ear yeah i'm totally on board with that like i i you can't really have him going into that last season as like a lame duck because like you said with it like but with his defense like what if he gets better at it because he certainly has the physical tools to be a good defender like defense is like not obvious, mostly uh, that sounds like uh, like punitive, but like it is a lot of it is just effort and like really committing to a scheme and like being like, I want to lock down the guy in front of me. Terry is six one with ample athleticism and quickness with a six foot eight wingspan. So he could very easily be a good point of attack defender. And with how much he's improved his game as a whole, like if you sh- watch Terry Rozier in Boston as a rookie or in his second year and told people he can snake a pick and roll with either hand and then pull up from the free throw line and hit a mid-range jumper with efficiency they think you're a crazy person so saying that he could get a little better at defense like I don't think it's out of the question like I feel like that's easier to get better at than it is to get better at like pull up jump shots as a as a 6-1 point guard like and he got a lot better at that so I don't know I mean I like you're, you're definitely right that you got You got to do one of those two things. Like if, cause you trade him, he definitely has a good market. That's probably a, a really easy way to get a good big man back. Like if you trade Terry Rozier, you're probably going to get, a, you're going to get another good player in return. You could just make it a center. Uh, but, and then if you extend him, you, at least you have him, you're not going to lose him. You can continue trading him if that's what you want to do, but you can also just rest assured that you're not going to lose anything in free agency. Your cap sheets are set for however long, you know what you got to do. But the question is, do you extend if you're Terry Rozier? If you're his agent right now, do you extend? I. Uh, that's a great question. That might be even harder than the Hornets deciding like mm. whether or not they want to do it. Because if you're Terry, like you've improved so much in the last two years, it's like, yeah, I could make $20 million, like a couple million, a couple million raise off what I have now. But if my points per game goes up by one or two points, my field goal percentages stay the same. I get a little better at defense, maybe like, cut down he's not even that bad at turning the ball over really but maybe cut down on turnovers or something like he could he's going to be making even more like he could probably approach like 23 24 maybe like and that kind of payday like that's not something you pass up like none none of us would terry rosier certainly not going to either and i would put definitely push him to go get that money if he can if it was from charlotte I'm sure, but like I, I like I, I just have no idea that I'm, gl- that I'm glad that you brought this up because I had not thought about 
him getting an extension like this off season, like at all. I basically was just looking at it through the lens of like, okay, you got to like, you're either going to trade him or like go into the next season being like, Oh, we're going to try really hard to keep you. But I, you definitely, yeah. I mean, they, they, I'm sure that that's a nut, like a more so than even like Cody or biz, they'll be having extension discussions. With and and there is always the risk one injury, right? Yeah. Terry's ear training camp, you know, knee Achilles that happens. He is not getting anywhere near the money that he can extend for. So it's always that risk versus reward. Um, if I'm his agent, I probably say to Terry, look, you will probably earn more money if you go to free agency next year than if you do, if you extend right now. However, if you want the security that you know you've got that money, and if you love being in Charlotte with your, your family, your team, and you're, you're happy as a basketball player, then it's not a bad deal to sign an extension. And I think the agent will very much put it back on Terry and be like, there is not a wrong decision here. Like it is a judgment Absolutely. call because, because it is, it's, it's, I think it's a pretty hard one for both sides. It is a judgment call, Terry. What, what do you want to do? Um, and I, I, I would not even want to put money on which way I would call that. If I was, if I was betting for Terry Rozier, I can see, I can make a fantastic argument for both sides. Yeah, you really can. And like, that just speaks to like both how much better he's gotten and like the, the environment that the Hornets have fostered for players to come here and get better. Like nobody, no Hornets fan thought we'd be talking at the, not even at the end of Terry's contract, but the year before it ends that we need to extend him for more than what he's already (laughs) being paid like that. It's just not something that you would have conceived Like, like even if you were being like, Oh, what's the craziest scenario we could think of? That wouldn't even be it. That's probably beyond what you would think of if you went back to, 2018 or 19 or whatever of these years it was they all blend together now that he signed here but yeah i mean yeah that's the whole yeah i mean like we people say that you're right that we say that people say this every year because you kind of have to but like this offseason really is for the hornets it's going to be like really fun like just watching like we're waiting for the team to come out and say things like the lottery is less than a month from now so we're going to know where they're drafting i actually do you know when that coin flip is to determine who gets tuesday this week Okay, so we will know the day after this pod comes out whether or not the Hornets are picking 11th or 12th because they're currently tied with the San Antonio Spurs because both teams lost as the 10 seed in the play-in. Yeah. But, and the Hornets are like on like mock draft websites at 11 right now, but that that a coin flip has to be uh, under, like undertaken to determine who picks 11th. So. And I was wrong. I thought um I thought because we lost the season series to San Antonio that we were below, but it's but it is a coin flip. So that's just that was yeah. just me not not understanding the lottery processes as much as I should have done because I think I said that in last week's show. But yeah, come on the coin flip, let's go. Eleventh pick, baby. I know. We, hey, we it's a spot we we're we're very comfortable in, so they might as well just keep us there. All right. So if you there's any other ex- exit interview quotes you want to discuss or you want to. No, I think let's, uh, let's wrap up part one. Let's give listeners a little bit of a break and let's come back and do some fun Charlotte Hornets end of season awards, which we, you're, you're going to enjoy this. We're going we're gonna to touch on some of the best spots and moments of this year, which I no doubt you will have forgotten about some of them. And we're going to jog your memory and, and it's going to make you feel, give you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. So, Yes, absolutely. If you guys stick around, we'll have a fun second half for you coming up. We will be back in just a moment.
And welcome back to the second half of At The Hive Live. We are here with our postseason Charlotte Hornets Awards show. Welcome, everybody. I'm sure that you all just played a drum roll in your head. You did the little the the, the crowd clapping noise. It was a great, a great presentation that we're about to got to give you here. Do you want to roll it off, James? We got what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven different awards here for you. So action packed show coming up. You want, you want to roll off with Dunk of yeah, the Year? Let's, start let's get, get started. started. Dunk of the Year first up. Let's just jump straight in deep end. Dunk of the Year. So um, I'm, I'm just going to start off with the first one that I imagine if you're listening right now, you will go in your head. Well, surely it's that one. Okay. Which is Miles Bridges on Clint Capella against the Hawks, which took probably, I would say that's probably a, I mean, we're we not doing a, dunk of the franchise history here but that's in the running like for the time it was like electric across the nba mediaverse so i that's an obvious one out there like i will not have to remind anyone about the bridges duncan capella um but there there are four candidates for this so we let's 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 listen to the other the other uh, nominations chase you're up so i this i to me this is the the second the clear-cut second dunk both for the, the actual act of the dunk itself and the, the significance of the player that it was over was when Terry Rozier got that fast break dunk in that really early season game against the Nets and just baptized Kevin Durant. Mm. Like that, that was, that was, uh, that was like, I obviously we know Miles is the dunker and he's, when, uh, when you get him in it, you kind of knew it was coming when he was driving down the lane and you saw Clint Capella was stepping up. You did not know it was coming when Terry Rozier was, was tripling in the, on a fast break with Kevin Durant. Uh, protecting the rim and Terry just got up and just stuffed it right down his throat. It was so awesome. I, I love that one. When you, when I saw that that one was on the Google doc that we we look at before our pre-show, I like look, went back and like watched it because I was like, Oh, that was awesome. I forgot about that. Early season dunk third game of the season. I think after the, that was after the Hornets had lost to the Thunder and the Cavs. Yes. And then they beat the Nets. And I mean, Rozier on Durant, it, it was a, it was a great dunk, like or definitely one of the dunks of the season. So a well worthy candidate for for dunk of the year. Um, third nomination we've got is Gordon Hayward on Darren Fox, which was which was another great dunk. And there's I think that the context is always important with dunks, right? So firstly, Gordon Hayward after his ankle injury, it's been well known that he did not attack the rim the same way. He was actually pretty athletic for the size that he was. And when you saw Hayward get up and dunk it on Fox in that fast break and Fox went back to try and challenge it, like that kind of just showed you how confident Hayward was in his body at the time and his athleticism. And you kind of, you did not see him make that play in Boston in the last year, like no way. So I, that was a kind of a really, it was like an I'm back baby kind of dunk, I felt. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that one was awesome. And you're right. That that was like the his like, oh, I'm back. I'm going to uh, my athleticism is here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, at, I'm showing up and I'm going to be the guy that you you all expected me to be. The last one for our dunk of the year candidate, Caleb Martin on Ben McLemore in the, uh, the home game against the Lakers. This one is like I, I, it was like not quite as uh, like exciting, I guess, as the other ones, because the, the other three are the team's like main players. But Caleb Martin, like he, the way that he like floated in the air, like mm. it's like he hit Ben McLemore, and that made him like he like ju- like jumped higher. He like double jumped off of Ben McLemore, and like it looked like his arms were like so far above the rim, and he just like st- like he did like the overhand dunk like right over his. It was it was very cool. Uh, it was it was not, it was awesome for Caleb to get a highlight like that too, because that was like all over 
Twitter and the, and like the NBA highlight videos and stuff too. So that, that was pretty awesome. Great year for Hornets dunks. I'm just yeah. saying, like, I mean, we've only included one of Miles Bridges dunks here. Okay. We, we are aware that this, this category could have just been Miles Bridges yeah, true, like, yeah. five times over, but you know, we wanted, we wanted to, to shout out a little bit. Um, winner. I mean, with the, I mean, you'll notice there's a severe lack of editing in here with like, like, like Tracy, uh, there are no drum rolls. There are no, you know, trumpets playing. We're just going to shoot through this. Uh, who, who's your winner? chase it's it's got to be miles on capella it is right? it, yeah. yeah it is <laughs> like, it's like the other guys like are uh, maybe you could be like oh it's not as expected so that's why but like no it's just no, miles it's it, miles miles and like clint capella if he retired that night i don't think that many people would have blamed him so nope. I, it's got to be that one yeah and uh yeah that was just i mean one of the dunks of the season probably yeah. a top three dunk in franchise history yeah, I would say I, maybe I, the best. I, yeah, it might be. Yeah. And for, for sure, like easily top two or three in the NBA this year. If not, yeah. it's that or the Anthony Edwards on you. Yeah. Those are the three. two. Those are the yeah. two that jump out to me. Definitely. Um, next award, assist of the year. Um, we have three nominations for assist of the year. Um, and they're not all the mellow ball, which will catch some people off guard. So first up, um, you referenced it earlier in the show is the lamella ball underhand pass, right? Which was a thing of sublime beauty, which just, I mean, you saw him kind of doing it and you were like, no, like, and then you saw him chuck it and you're thinking, well, this isn't going to work. Is it, this is going to be one of those turnovers where Borrego pulls him like for what, and then it just went straight. I've never seen the ball dip from an underhand pass before. It was, it was a thing of beauty. So the underhand pass again, an obvious one that will probably jump to your mind because it was relatively, relatively recently. Yeah, and they, another, we probably could have also listed like six mellow assists and just been like, oh, this is the little mellow ball assist of the year, much like Miles and the dunks. But there were a lot of other players that made, that made some good passes this year too. But And like, I was also thinking, does that one in the preseason where he underhand bounce pass it to Malik on the, on the fast break, like count against the magic, because that's up there for me as well, but it's like a preseason game. So it's like, it not, not, hey, it doesn't really count. If it's in your memory, it counts. That's, that's my, true. yeah. That's... Hey, that, that one's up there for me as well. Too. Okay. Yeah. I, we I could couple, couple the underhand passes together. Cause I mean, he, he's definitely making into it, making it into a trademark of his now. I like it. I like it. And the second one is, mellows behind the back flip versus the pacers i don't know do you remember like exactly what game that was in because that was the the last that was the playing game oh oh my oh my god i see i was thinking the way that these pacers games have all blended in because i thought the the first two like or when they played that season series when i was just like looking up the stats for it i thought it was like in like april but it was it was like december or something time time has just passed me by this nba season i have no idea what's going on anymore now that pass, right? I know it was in the middle of the plane blowout, right? And not a single thing went right all night. But that like back flip pass, if that had been in a 40 point blowout the other way, I think that would be up there for one of the passes of the season. It just so happened with they're like down by 40 in the fourth quarter. And that's why like everyone just kind of moved on past it. But that was a phenomenal pass, like truly special pass. Yeah, like the the angle at which his hand like it doesn't make sense like with with no. physical physics that his hand can pass it that hard at that angle he's like flipping his wrist under like upside down and then flicking it backwards like it just doesn't make any sense that he's able to complete that pass with so much speed on it 
and it flew straight past, I think, like Aaron, might be an Aaron Holiday, someone's head, like, yeah. it was like three centimeters from hitting their head, but like three centimeters from the hand in like a gap. It was just, it was just an incredible pass. It was a, it was a great pass, that one. Um, the last one, Devonta Graham. And that was to PJ Washington versus the Bucks. And this was actually like, I also think context is important here. So Devonta Graham had switched on to Yanis and they tried to throw like a lob entry pass to Yanis, which Devonta Graham picked off. It, it wasn't the best pass, I'll admit it. But Devonta Graham picked it off, ran the floor, and then like threw a bounce pass that split two defenders. And PJ Washington didn't even know the pass had been thrown and was running forward and all of a sudden just kind of looked down and the ball was there as if it had been handed to him by God. Like it was just, it was just a great pass. Again, one of the, one of the passes of the season. Um, and it, you know, isn't as flashy as maybe Mellows, but with the defense that went before it and the fact that like the guy getting the ball didn't know he was even getting past it until it was like right in front of him. It was a, it was, it was a special pass. Yeah, he's definitely not as flashy as LaMelo. He's like, but he's definitely a really good, like, technical passer. Yeah. Like, if you got like a basketball coach to be, to run like a passing drill and be like, hey, this is the player that I want everybody here to emulate, you'd be like, Devontae Graham, run a pick and roll and show these, these young basketball players how to pass. Like, and he, he is so good at that type of thing. There was another one that he had. Uh, I, I don't even remember who it was against, but he was driving uh, down the left side of the lane and he like Euro stepped somebody and did like two really long steps and did an overhand bounce pass to PJ in the corner for a three and PJ just drained it. That one was pretty recently. Uh, I, I could not look it up because I had all I w- had to Google was Devonte Graham, PJ Washington, cool pass. So <laughs> couldn't really, could not find that obviously, but I feel like if uh, some people will at least remember if one person remembers it, then it was worth sharing. So uh, that one is up there too. Devonte is a really good passer. I'm, I, I just hope, want him to, to know that because I know that he listens every week and is a dedicated at the Hive Live uh, supporter. So I hope you hear this, Devontae. You're great at basketball. So, assist of the year, who are you giving it to? See, I will, I will give it to the LaMelo underhand passes, I think, just because mm-hmm. the, when you're going for like an award like this, I feel like the flash is like what gets it. You know what I mean? And yeah. he has that, like with, without a doubt. So, any any sort of highlight real award thing is is probably going to end up toward going to him. I'm I'm going to concede, right? I, I would actually pick the behind the back flip versus the paces, but the fact that it came in a forty point blowout loss just like makes the whole thing a bit of a sadder memory. Yeah. So uh, sadder, really good English there. Um, for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, I, I'm gonna I'll concede for the mellow in the hand pass. That was like a really exciting time, and it kind of really went more viral across like the NBA and Twitter sphere. Um, so I will concede, even though I would probably personally pick the mellow behind the back pass, but I'm trying to block out that whole Pacers game really. So <laughs> yeah, if right. I, if I don't have to have that winning, that that's also good for me. That, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, he, uh, we could pick, I, I feel genuinely feel like you could probably go to every game he played and like pick out a pass that he made and like justify it being like a, Charlotte Hornets assist of the year nominee like he's just so so good at it so glad he's here what for win of the year our next category this one was actually this one was really fun because the Hornets had a lot of really good wins this year I'll be frank they 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 won a lot of games that like going into it we did not expect or at a certain point in the game we did not expect the first nominee is the early season win against Brooklyn over when they had came they had like James had said earlier they had come off losing to the Cavs and the Thunder and 
it kind of seemed like, oh, this might not be as as fun of a year as we may have thought. Uh, turns out we were all wrong and it was going to be awesome. So there was that one kind of got that all kicked off. There's the New Orleans national TV where LaMelo Alonzo played the Miami overtime win where Malik set his career high, the win against the Phoenix Suns where LaMelo controlled the fourth quarter, uh, the win against Boston where they absolutely shellacked them. And then the game in Sacramento where Malik Monk hit the overtime buzzer beater well, must have been pretty close to 1 a.m. Eastern time. So, I mean, hey, if, if any if any Hornets fans missed that game, we'll give you a quick recount of it right now. I, I was barely awake for that game, but when, when that got got to overtime, I was wired because that was, that game was awesome. But what, what what would yours be, James? Which one do you of these do you think is the best? Uh, the Man, best hard, hard category, right? Like, the yeah, there were so two. many good ones. The first like two categories, dunk and assist of the year, it was like, all right, you know, these are these are layups. Now we're getting into some tough awards. I mean, so many, oh, so many good wins this year. Oh. Um, you you put me on the spot. I, I don't actually know who I was going to pick for this. I was just hoping I was going to be inspired when talking about it. <laughs> um, which game was I most pumped after? That's that's what I'm thinking yeah, here. That's basically um, how I went too. Was like which one? I was. Had me I mean, I was pretty pumped after the Suns game because there was another Suns game where Terry Rozier got fouled on a three point shot and they didn't call it. Yes. Um, which was a real and then yes, that was. But that that was a really good win. But I, I'm not gonna. I don't think it's gonna win it for me. I think the Miami overtime win with Malik Monk pouring like 36 points and hitting like, I don't know how many threes in the first half. It was, that game was special. And, you know, whenever the end of the game goes to overtime, it, you know, it, it just, it has a little bit of a special memory. It seems to mean that little bit more, I always think. Um, so I'd probably give it to that Miami, Miami game, 129 to 121. Malik Monk, 36 points was absolutely probably a breakout game really for him. Um, especially in the first half, and he just kept hot all the way through the game. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it there for me. That was mine too. Like that, that game, I vividly remember in that first half. I think I yelled like Malik, like Malik, every time he made a three in that first half because it was like it, it, you kind of could tell, like, oh, this might be his like coming out party. Like this is his first like real big game because i think he had like 22 in the first half or something like that yeah it was just absolutely la- shooting absolute lasers like the entire game I, I how many do you have the the box score in front of you like, what was his what was his three-point percentage that game like how many makes um it? he was 36 points 11 from 18 from the field nine from 13 from three <laughs> yeah like that's ridiculous <laughs> dude God, like that game that game was so fun i remember yeah the, the team fun. as a whole shot 51 percent from three 21 from 41 so yeah. and then it like, like malik had five free throws five from five from the line two assists five rebounds he, he had Probably his best game of the year. Um, Devontae Graham had a good game. 24 points, four rebounds, five assists. Went 6-11 from three. Cody Zeller, 19 points, 12 rebounds. Yes. I, I'm, this whole game is like coming back to me now. Yes. Yeah. So, that yeah, that was a that was a heck of a fun game. But I mean, and that was also the game, if you remember, Max Struess for the Heat. Yes. He went crazy in the first half. He had 19 points, went five from nine from three. And I think he was like four from four in like his first two minutes of play. Yes, that game. That game was so awesome. I remember because Devonte. I'm not sure if it was in regular or regulation or overtime, but he hit like a nasty step back three on Tyler Hero to like I to I like put the game out of reach. And it was it, that game. That game was awesome. I also really liked the Suns win just because 
that in that stretch, uh, like specifically, not just specifically the Suns win, but that like I think it was like that West Coast trip. They played them. They played the Jazz. They they lost to the Jazz. But in both of those games, it was like it was the Lamelo Ball show in the fourth quarter. And yeah. for him to show that that early in the season, like in his early in his career, that 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 meant a lot. Like I think that was kind of the moment where like the high entire Hornets organization was like, okay, we we're we're we got something to cook with here. Yeah. Win of the year. Fun award to talk about. This doesn't like, this doesn't make everyone feel good talking and listening to win of the year. All those good moments we had. I enjoyed that. Absolutely. Moving on. Loss of the year. <laughs> yeah, the, fun, <laughs> the other fun part, when you lose. Yeah. Loss of the year. Um, I know you'll be shouting what loss of the year is into your uh, you know, Apple podcast right now, but we, we are going to go through the, the, um, so the nominations. Firstly, the Cavs and OKC first two games of the season, which I've kind of coupled as together because Hornets panic levels are at like DEFCON 3 at that stage. Like both the Cavs and OKC were supposed to stink coming into the year and we lost them both straight away and the Hornets did not look good, like connected on either end. So them together was a pretty scary time. Uh, we've got the New Orleans game down the end of the season when they didn't have Zion, Brandon Ingram, like Eric Bledsoe killed us. And if we'd just won that game, we would have finished with the eighth seed. Um, that was one of those, like not many times this year did the Hornets have a game you felt like wrapped up. I think they were like 12 in the fourth quarter and let them come all the way back. So, so that really hurt. You had the Suns overtime game. Again, really hurt. Um, some great games against the Suns this year. Um, but that was a tough one. And then you've got the playing game against Indiana. Um, which is fresh in everyone's memory. Um, Chase, thoughts on any of those games? Anything stick out? Any any nuggets stick out to you from any of those? Um, I mean, the play and loss was bad. Uh, to so that yeah, I feel like I feel like that's pretty safe to say. But honestly, I do think it's the New Orleans one because if you don't lose that game, the play and loss doesn't happen. So, and that's really you're right. Like that's the only game that they really like quote unquote blew all season. Like they they didn't. Uh, if they had they lost another game at the end of the game, they at least weren't up by double digits in the fourth quarter. Like they were up by what, like like five or something. I like when they lost to the Hawks. Like they were never blowing out the Hawks at any point in that late season loss. They were, however, like handedly beating the Pelicans. They did end up losing that game. Like you said, they were out. Like everybody, like Lonzo and Brandon or, uh, and Eric Bledsoe were leading the charge in that game. And you can beat a team that's led by Lonzo and Eric Bledsoe. So that, that one will probably do it for me. Just because if you don't lose that game, the play-in loss doesn't happen. So can you really blame it on the play-in? Um, I think I'm can. saying play-in. I'm yeah, saying play-in game against Indiana. <laughs> I, I think that's probably – I know, I, know I'm, I feel like I keep using phrases like the, like the best in franchise history and the worst in franchise history. I think that's probably the worst loss I can remember in franchise history. Like for in sure terms of stakes on the line. Yeah. Stakes on the line, embarrassing, like just – the manner of the loss, like giving up multiple backdoor cuts of out of bounds play. Um, we, we're going to, we're going to come back to this as well in worst moments of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I, that Indiana game for me was just the loss of the year and was just such a sour way to end a positive season. So um, we, we disagree on that one, but, um, but you know, I can, I can understand your point of view. If you win that new Orleans game, that paces game never happens. Yeah, I mean, hey, and both of both of them were bad. So really, I think we're we're both right in it, to a certain degree. But this is this is a fun award. I really like this one, the Dion Waiters Award. 
the random guy who just gets hot one night, puts up a ton of points after the night before he got a did not play coach's decision. And then the night after he got a did not play coach's decision. That doesn't necessarily happen with all these guys on here, but you guys get the gist of the award. The first nominee was PJ Washington's 42 point game versus Sacramento. This was really the only like real offensive outburst from him all, all season. He had a couple last year. He's not, not that he's like some explosive scorer, but he is definitely good at it. Like his first game last year, he scored 27 points as as Great a rookie game. in his debut. Yeah. And then that 42 point game versus Sacramento, the threes were falling. He was shooting efficiently at the rim, which is really the only thing that hinders him from ever being like a consistent offensive player. So there's that. That was the first nominee. The second one is probably is probably some someone there has probably had this one pop in their head already as they're listening. Vernon's carries 21 points versus the Brooklyn Nets. Out of nowhere. Yeah, out of literally out of nowhere. <laughs> like nobody expected him to even really start that game, much less go off for 21. But I mean, hey, great, great for Vernon. That's obvious. That's a, a very great night to have in your rookie year. We'll definitely take that. The last one is Monk's 36 versus Miami. That career high he set. I don't. Uh, we don't. I don't. We don't know what his points averages in the games leading up to that were exactly. But you know, it's safe to say that he was a lot hotter that night than he was the nights prior or the nights following. So, I think for me this one is pretty easy. But what about what about? I, I'm interested to hear what your pick is. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Vern. I think it's <laughs> yeah, Vern. Yeah, me too. Because, just because Vern's like true to the Dion Waiters award in terms of like. The game before he wasn't even in the rotation, played 21 points, and then like four games later was on out the rotation for the rest of the year. It was just like, and against like a good team in Brooklyn as well. And he was like hitting jumpers from everywhere. And it was like the Vernon Kerry game. Um, so, you know, Monk, we've seen him go for like big explosions before. We've already touched that Miami game. PJ's 42 really did come out of nowhere. That was a real explosion, but. Like, PJ gets that opportunity kind of night in, night out. And it was against the Sacramento Kings, who were just, like, one of the worst defenses in NBA history. So, I think Vernon Carey is my pick for this. We just 21 points out of nowhere, into the rotation, and out of the rotation a week later. Yep, that's it for me, too. That, that, that was a hell of a night, too. Because, I mean, like, like nobody expected that. Not, like, not, we, he, didn't, he didn't even play, like, at all, really, heading up to that. It was great to see him just go out there. And then the variety that that he scored with was great it was just a perfect uh, uh exemplary or a perfect example i'm very good at speaking it was great but a perfect example of like the things that he had flashed in the g league and then he actually got to like display them on a uh, on an nba court for one night didn't work out uh the next couple games he started uh i think it, yeah it was the game immediately after he started against the blazers picked up two fouls on the opening possession probably in Ow. maybe 15 seconds See you later. <laughs> I don't think he played again until the second quarter. Uh, and then he fell out of the rotation soon after that. So definitely Vernon Carey's getting the Dion Waiters award for that 21 point night he had against Brooklyn in his first start of his NBA career. So congratulations to Vernon. Next up, we have Apex Mountain, um, which and if you guys listen to the, some of the ringer bill simmons podcasts dion waiters award apex mountain is is completely robbed from those i'm not pretending to be original here in either way but we're just good ways to frame conversation um apex mountain so kind of which player reached the peak of their nba powers this year and it was you know it was hard for nominees for this i think it was kind of this a really obvious candidate we've got down terra rosia and bismarck biombo um which you kind of kind of argue like Biz his time in Toronto. Yeah, I understand that was probably a higher apex, but in terms of like apex from now until going forward, 
I don't think Bismarck Bayumbo will ever have a significant role as he had this season in the next three years of him being an NBA, NBA player, like if that. Um, and Terry Rozier, you know, has got better every single year. He keeps making everyone, including me, look stupid because he just gets better every single year. But he is a candidate for, you know, reaching the peak of maybe who he is. We saw in the second half of the season, you know, he, he does have his limitations. He is not just an endless pit of potential. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts or any of the candidates you've got for this award, Chase? I thought maybe we could potentially throw Cody Zeller on there too, but he is, he's also young. Like I think he's only 27 or 28. Uh, he also, he didn't play like his minutes were so inconsistent at the end of the year. I feel like he didn't get a full chance to like show off his like actual ability for us to determine whether or not it's like at the peak of its, of his powers per se. But uh, I think I'm going to go with biz for this one. He appeared in 66 games this season. That is not what you want if you are the Charlotte Hornets front office. That's just not what it's just not what you were planning for. It just it can't be. If you drafted two centers, you had Cody, and then you signed Biz on like a like a team friendly like two or three million dollar deal or something like that to keep him. Not that I think he would probably be making that anywhere else. He'd probably be a minimum guy. So maybe it's it's more. Maybe it's not team friendly. Maybe it's Biz friendly. But either way, like you we're not going into the end of the season planning on playing him 66 games. I think we unfortunately like saw why, like he's, he certainly could have a role in the NBA over the next couple of seasons. Uh, I I don't think it's in Charlotte, sadly, just because they need someone that gives a lot. Like he has the skill set that they need quote unquote, but he's just not, he just doesn't have enough of it anymore to provide what the Hornets need as a rim protector. Like he is that he's just not, as good, he's just not the one that they need, unfortunately. So I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna have to go with Biz because I think Terry will. I don't think he's gonna improve a ton per se, but I think his, he's, he, I don't think he, he's like plateaued a little bit. I don't think he's just gonna drop off after next mm. year, or the year after. Yeah, I, I understand that. I mean, even when Biz was in Toronto, okay, he started only 22 games. This year he started 36. So apart from his like first two game, first two seasons in the NBA when he was like playing on the horrific Charlotte teams. It's his most starts in an NBA season this year. So, um, yeah, I think I, I was thinking Terry's here coming into this, but I think you've actually convinced, convinced me it is Bismarck Bambo. Like, he had a bigger role in this team than you You probably I, – I was always – we were always behind Biz being a veteran guy on the team, just not actually playing basketball. And he played a lot more basketball than I think both of us thought he, he ever would this year. Um, and, you know, Chase, I think he might be back next year i'm just saying i, uh, yeah. I don't know i don't know how it's going to work with vernon Carey and nick richards and whoever else they sign in free agency but i'm it would not shock me if biz was back next year on another one year like minimum deal um i think they would move one of Kerry richards in that scenario because i think they would have to sign another center as well um but i think we could get another year of biz and i know we're going to talk about him <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, like, I wouldn't be surprised at all, like, if they bring him back just to be like, yeah, this comparison has been drawn a lot among Hornets fans, but like, he pr- pretty much could be there. Udonis Haslam, like, Udonis Haslam is a rostered member of Miami Heat. He, uh, I'm sure some people remember he went in for the first time at the end of the year, got in a fight about two minutes later, and got ejected. Perfect, perfect way to play your one game of the season, by the way. But I could definitely see Biz doing a similar thing. 
but yeah, like the thing with Udonis Haslam is he literally does not play. Like the Heat had so many problems with COVID and injuries this year, and he played one game and at the end, very, very end of the year. Like that needs to be what Biz does, basically. Like he's a, he's a little bit more of like a utility player at this point because he's so much younger, but still for what like if the Charlotte Hornets are trying to be a competitive team, he cannot be playing uh 1334 minutes this season. Like that it's just or next season. No, sir. That's not not something that you can have happen, unfortunately. But don't don't like to necessarily give out this award, but it's got to go to somebody and uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, other people in the fan base would probably settle on one of these two guys as well. So but the last one, we're going to round it off with a bit of a, a sour note, I guess. But either way, we had to recount this anyway. People have been thinking about it plenty in the last week, I'm sure, which was the worst moment of the year. Not like a loss or like a specific game, just the worst single play or t- time period within a game from the entire year. The first one is PJ and Miles running into each other in the Pacers, which is kind of just emblematic of that game as a whole. And then there are also the inbound passes against the Pacers, which, I mean, uh, those were egregious basketball mistakes, uh, to put it lightly. (laughs) At that point, they made so many bad plays when the Pacers were inbounding the basketball. Uh, And then there were Devontae Graham's missed threes at the last two games of the season. He had a couple chances to... Uh, put the Hornets in a position to win the game. Uh, unfortunately, he did not do that after he, I mean, and it sucks that he didn't. We've talked about this last week and how he like sad that he looked, but he really, it, it does stink that those n- didn't go in. Uh, but, and then the last ones, the mellow injury, very, that ha- against the Clippers in March, missed until um, May 1st against the Pistons. And then Miles Bridges being sent into COVID protocol uh, to round out the regular season, just when he had like fully blossomed into uh reliable scorer for the Hornets so I mean I we I imagine that uh, a lot of the listeners and us both are uh, going to the the either one of the things that happened in the Pacers game right now but what are, what are your thoughts worst moment of the year it's hard for these because the fresh ones are always kind of clear in your mind Look, the saddest moment I was, like the lowest moment of the season was hearing the news of the mellow hand mm-hmm. the wrist injury. Like we came on the podcast, we were like- Oh, just, we were sad. We were sad. We were sad. Like I remember <laughs> telling you like, Chase, you realize we're not going to see Lamelo play basketball for like nine months. And you were like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So, yes. Oh yeah. No, we weren't even sad. Like, oh, the Hornets might not make the playoffs. We're like, no, oh, we don't get to see Lamelo. Like it was terrible. <laughs> it was, we were dejected. I remember that. Yeah. Um, my, my, yeah, I think I'm probably leaning towards that. I, I was PJ and Miles running into each other is definitely up there. And that was probably my favorite coming in because it was like the first play out of halftime. And you're thinking like everyone's been in the locker rooms, you know, defensive intensity has got to come up. You know, we've got to go out there and show what we mean it. We can't let Doug McDermott get free like he did at the start of the first half. First thing happens, off-screen action, Miles Bridges is on McDermott, chases after him, collides with P.J. Washington, like two paces are wide open underneath the basket for, like, a dunk. And you're just like, oh, my God, like, they spent the whole of halftime. That that moment there where you're like, this is just not going to be the night. It's just, we are, we are going to lose this game badly. So, but I will go for the mellow injury because that was, like... His shooting never really came back afterwards. You really hope that it doesn't have long-term effects. He obviously said in his exit interviews that he didn't have full range of motion in his wrist when he came back. So that does explain some of the shooting injuries. And 
that that's that's one the worst moment. That moment could still haunt us going forward. It, it shouldn't, right? His wrist should fully heal. He should get move his range of motion back. But there's still part of me because I'm a pessimist that thinks, man, Melo's never going to shoot over thirty five percent, and we're all going to be thinking back like four years down the line, going. I wonder if he'd not got that wrist injury when he was shooting like 36, 37%, if his shooting was ever going to, you know, be league average or above. So I think I'll go with the mellow injury just because it's got a chance to potentially have a knock-on effect down the line. Yeah, that was what I was going with too. I was thinking of it like, when was I the most sad? And that like, that was definitely then. Like I was, the, nothing had upset me worse uh, in the Hornets season than when Lamelo was an hour, when they, because at the time it was presumed he would be out for the year. So we were all, we were just com- absolutely downtrodden at that point. The Pacers loss stung a lot and is like pretty close to being the worst moment of the year, obviously. But you get to a point in that game where you're just like, well, this is just not it. Like we're just not doing anything like this is just going to be over in an hour uh, and then we'll never have to worry about it again. So I definitely I, I definitely understand that. And the, and the PJ miles running into each other there's an element of humor to that as well, where it's like you come out of halftime and like, you're being like, all right, we're a young energetic team that, you know, doesn't lay down. We never have, we're never going to, we always play until the very end and make a game out of it in the second half, even when we start out poorly. And then PJ and miles run into each other, like cartoon characters. And it it was, it was like, actually, like I actually laughed when I saw it because like, I just like, you knew, in your head like oh god this is just already so terrible like how could it get worse and then you're like oh that's how like they could just like smash into each other like and flatten like pancakes but so that they're they're both there was a couple and like most of these are at the very end of the year which i think speaks to they had a good year it just ended really terribly and recency bias will you know fold into that and stuff too so I mean, they, they, they really like, they didn't have that many moments like at the beginning of the year where you would be like, Oh my God, that was terrible. I need that one back. But, but they piled up at the end. So that's just how it goes. And I mean, I'm, so I think I'm going to go with the mellow injury, but the PJ miles running into each other is a close second because it was just kind of funny. Yeah. Agreed. And um, yeah, I enjoyed going through that process. It was nice to kind of dive back into it and research. And, and I, there was some things that I kind of forgotten about and kind of, unearthed while going back through the season and just reinforces that overall year overall it was it was a fun year and um i think this is a thing we should do regularly like end of each year kind of going through and and looking at some fun awards i think i think it's a good thing to do yeah absolutely this was really fun it was not like and i hope the listeners uh also were like felt refreshed by like because i hadn't thought about that game against brooklyn or new orleans like and even that that next game after that, they beat Dallas that next night and they made Luca into a meme. Like, remember where he was sitting on the sideline, like with his like no facial expression, like zoomed yeah. in really sweaty. Like that, that was like a meme for the next week because of how badly the Hornets had beaten the Mavericks at, or in the beginning of the season. And and we didn't even mention like Melo, youngest ever triple double in history, yeah. which was the night after the Pelicans game, which was on yeah. national TV to the next night. Like we didn't even mention that as like a moment of the season. Um, you know, he complete history maker like the youngest in the entire league, which was put back by COVID. So he would have been younger if it was like a normal regular season. Um, and he could have had more against against the Pelicans, against his brother Lonzo. I think he missed it by like an assist, didn't he? Yes, I think? yeah, so, he did. He had um, that assist. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great season. And, and I think this is probably like, this is probably going to be the last pod we really do looking back at this year now. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Maybe we'll talk like... 
Yeah, pr- yeah, probably. I can't imagine. We just we're just talking like our future podcast that. plans on the podcast now, which is yeah, you know. right. Maybe maybe we'll somebody will come up in like our Zoom chat or something and be like, oh, you guys should talk about this next week. But but, but hey, but we'll we'll talk through it. The listeners will know how the how the process goes. They'll know exactly what's coming. I'm thinking a lot of our listeners won't have ever listened to us in the off season before. Well, I should say we've not done an off season yeah, podcast true. before. Really, this is our first one because we started this. Early, early this season. Um, so, I mean, what can the, in fact, our, our first podcast was February 9th this year. So okay. I yeah, just want to say, like our Shay, 16th episode, I think. Yeah. I just want to say it's been, um, it's been a fun, I've really, I mean, this is my first time I've done a, a week in week Hornets podcast for a number of years, um, ever. And I've, I've had a really good time. It's, it's been a really, uh, I found it very useful to kind of come bounce ideas off you to vent about things annoying me, to work through issues and problems together. It, it's been a really enjoyable season, and I think I've enjoyed it all the more for, for, for going through this with you. Yeah, dude, thank, that, 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 I feel exactly the same way. I, I, I too, have never like, done like a weekly podcast or had anything like this, and it, it is, it's so nice being able to just come down and sit with like, like-minded, a like-minded Hornets fan that you know, feel wants the same things. Like we both want the Hornets to just be a good team eventually. And like, you know, we're both thinking we have different, different opinions, perspectives, and how to get to that thing is not like a linear or black and white process. So it's, it's always fun to be able to bounce that off and each other. And it's, it's been great to record these, all these podcasts with you and early in the season, it was, it was I'm very glad that we started this and I think we'll have a bunch of fun in the off season. Cause oh, yeah. we're going to get to put, put our brains to the test. We'll get to predict, we'll get to say what we think they should do, what we think they shouldn't do. And, and that's what everybody really loves doing, right? If you're, you're a Hornets fan, you want to sit there and you want to be like, I have the right plan for the Charlotte Hornets. And this is why. And we're going to do plenty of that this offseason. And, and the listeners can do plenty of that, too, because we are open to literally any suggestion that you guys have to do for the offseason. We'll still have like guests on and stuff like that, doing like cool interviews for uh, various topics throughout. But if there's anything that the listeners like want us to talk about in the offseason, like you want us to do like a draft episode and talk about specific like prospects or something like feel free to su- make suggestions. I'm not an ideas guy. So that is something that I always struggle with is like thinking of creative things to like talk about. So if you, if anything that you guys want to hear, tell us and we will most likely do it. It doesn't even have to be about the Hornets. It could just be about like, you could ask us what our favorite color is. Like it's totally, totally fine. Anything, nothing's out of bounds. We want you guys to feel involved with the show because that it, that's the, how it is most fun is when, you know, the, we got us, us two up here talking all, the, all, all week long and then we come back and we've got lots of feedback and you guys have been great with that too. So this has been just a, a very good experience all around. It was a really good season, a really good po- a podcasting season as well. It's nice. And nice we've to got, wrap it up. we've got the draft, which we know we both love the draft. Okay, oh, yeah. So we are, oh, yeah. We are going to give you grade A draft content coverage. I'm telling like, it's going to be next level. All right. So yeah. we got the draft coverage. That's going to be great. It's going to be fire. We've got free agency, which is going to be really fun, really interesting. Lots to look at there. And, and at some point, you know, we might take a little two-week break somewhere here or there, like to, to recharge our batteries as well. But, um, but we, we've got some big things we got some big things planned for the off season. So don't go anywhere. Stick with us through the off season. We're going to, we're going to be having a lot of fun previewing um, a lot of the, re- the rest of Hornets off season for next year. Yes, absolutely. Stay tuned at the hive live has got plenty coming for you at the hive has plenty coming for you. We've got, we're going to have tons of off season profiles, draft profiles, free agency profiles, like we did last year. 
time to get back in the gear, baby. You know, we got with the off seasons coming up. Some people think this is the, the most fun time of the NBA season, the most, most eventful period of the year. So we got plenty, we got, there's no basketball being played, but we still got plenty of basketball to talk about. Don't you worry. That'll wrap up another episode about the hive live. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you again next week.